Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the missing link in your agency's HR organization. You need a good technology person because HR technology is very different than other kinds of technologies that run in an agency. And CISA continues its evolution as the government's cyber leader. I think there was always going to be a shift towards implementation and operations as you get further on down the executive order and and CISA can play a key role in having that happen effectively and efficiently. It's Friday, July 1st, 2020. 22. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. The results are in for the best bosses in federal IT. Leaders from government and industry are among the winners. You can find a link to see the list and read more about each of the winners in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Round two of guidance on secure cloud migration for federal agencies is out from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. CISA partnered with three other organizations in government to put the guidance out. Bob Kalaski is Senior Vice President at Exiger. He's former director of the National Risk Management Center at CISA. Bob, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Round two of the Cloud Security Technical Reference Architecture. What was round one and what do you see as updates for round two? Sure. So round one was inspired by the executive order that the president signed last year. And it was basically CISA's attempt to work with partners within the federal government to help facilitate a, a role that CISA likes to play, right? Help help facilitate other agencies improving their IT operations and improving their security and put, put in place guidance that can be pretty easily followed based on best practices so that there's comfort that as is this natural sort of IT transition to the cloud happens um, at the same time security considerations are, are baked in right from the beginning. And, and so last, last late last summer, CISA put out the first round of guidance and then asked for comments based on the first round of guidance and um, received comments um, over the last few months. And this round is uh, the agency's attempt to uh, respond to those comments. And I think what you saw with those comments, and we can get into a little more detail, but what you saw is a lot of it. Um, request for making sure that there's explicit alignments to other things that are going on across the federal IT space, federal information security space, as well as more detail um, so that it's as useful as possible for agencies. The number that jumped out at me and my colleague Dave Nitschapir's report on this is more than 300 public comments received in September. Is that a lot? I don't have any, I don't have any context to that. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, particularly with the agencies themselves making comments, um, you know, you know that, I think that demonstrates a pretty good level of interest in, in this guidance. And you know, if, if I were sitting at CISA right now, or, or, or and was sitting there during that period of guidance, I, I'd be happy with the level of interest in this, which demonstrates that this is going to most likely be a meaningful document. And people want to, you know, I think documents like this, you always are, are looking for comments to improve it. What did you see in those comments that jumped out at you contextually or content-wise that you think made a difference in the way that this guidance wound up changing? I mean, I think, you know, among the things that CISA highlighted in the comments was the need to make sure that uh, the guidance on on the the cloud security reference um, also reflected additional guidance going on in the federal space on, on zero trust and making sure that there was alignment to the zero trust strategy. Um, and then also, as I said, you know, it's all about alignment, alignment to NIST guidance. So, so NIST has done a lot of good work along the ways uh, at the more technical levels of how you implement better IT security. And a lot of what CISA does in working with NIST is take the NIST guidance and um, put it in context for different operating environments. 
And I think you saw the commenters asking for that, particularly around areas like identity credentials, access management, um, and, and getting more specifics. And, and then, as I said, the other thing is more details on use cases so, so that it resonates with, with the um, adopter. I mentioned three other organizations that CISA partnered with on this guidance, and those are, according to Dave's story, U.S. Digital Service, FedRAMP, and the Office of Management and Budget. Mm-hmm. The digital service element of that is interesting to me because, you know, I think back to when USDS stood up and it was really just a triage organization yeah. try to fix stuff that was going wrong. And it, it appears to me that since the, and I know this has been a progression and then it's not instantaneous, but it strikes me that USDS has now reached a point of being a strategic partner to organizations like CISA and the others that I mentioned across government. Yeah, I mean, the, the genesis of USDS, uh, you know, the, going back to the Obama administration was to bring in tech expertise to deal with high profile operational challenges, you know, most prominently healthcare.gov way back in the day. And I think as, um, you know, now it serves as a technical bench and some depth of um, people who can come in and spend some time helping the government do technical work and places like CISA and other agencies can pull, you know, CISA is obviously trying to hire as many as possible experts like that, but, but, you know, it gives depth for other agencies to pull from for expertise. And it's, you know, it's good that, you know, USDS will be someplace that's helping agencies do IT work and it's good that they have input into this guidance so they can shape shape that. So yeah, um, I think it's a it's a, a success story in that regard. Dave story on fedscoop.com says the CSTRA defines and clarifies considerations for shared services, cloud migration, cloud security posture management so agencies can make implementation plans. Shared services piece of that is interesting to me too, Bob, because I think there's a lot of folks that would like to see CISA move in the direction of being a shared services provider, not just for smaller agencies the way that it kind of is now, but for a lot of organizations across government. Yeah, I think the agency, my, my impression is the agency still has that ambition, but that, you know, you, you mentioned OMB and being involved and, you know, for that to happen, OMB and GSA have to be involved in those conversations. There has to be continued authority granted through the Hill and then appropriations to provide the shared service. But, you know, like you see with lots of sort of CISO models, if you have a centralized CISO that can be the, the service provider and, and CISO can in a lot of ways play the centralized role of the service provider on behalf of the, the shared CISO environment for the federal space, I think it's a more efficient way to do government. You know, I, I know that's something that's important to you, Francis, and your conversations of, is how do you deliver government more efficiently? And, you know, as, as a shared buyer, I, I think that's going to be helpful. Um, there are, are a number of things on the plate here. I, I mentioned CSTRA, uh, version 2.0 is out. Um, and Dave writes, CISA now shifts its attention to the trusted internet connections 3.0 draft cloud use case. That came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then um, the uh, ver- a new version of the zero trust maturity model. So this is, this is an ongoing process and this is an evolution, right? We're not going to get to a point where, okay, we're good with what we have now. Uh, this, this is the result of the executive order from, from last Spring. This was the result of the president putting a lot more attention on the federal federal IT security, and you know what what you saw was lots of plans and proposals last year. And now you see the detailed implementation work going on right now. And I think there was always going to be a shift toward 
implementation and operations as you get further on down the executive order and, and CISA can play a key role in having that happen effectively and efficiently. I was looking at the House budget for FY23 um, that was just passed last week and, and the resources that are going to CISA to help produce things, you know, you, you just quoted Dave saying that CISA shifted their focus. I think at this point, the agency should be able to do multiple things simultaneously and hopefully in doing so, keep alignment and, and advance all this. And, and again, it, it all comes from an executive order and, and an ambitious centralized IT security agenda that the executive branch has put in place. All right. I'm an amateur and you're a pro. What would you advise me as an amateur who's interested in this stuff to watch in the coming weeks and months? Not even necessarily just on these things, but more broadly in kind of the CISA landscape. You, you know, I always am interested in how this impacts the federal spend. And so, you know, are, are, the, procure, are the acquisitions going to put this into place via contracts? And is this going to put additional requirements in place and shape the market. And that's, you know, for suppliers, that, that's a lot of work I do right now, but but really wanting to have suppliers who are ahead of the game to meet this guidance and can help do that and can then drive the market toward overall improved cloud security. And, and I think that, that the federal spend is big enough that that should be happening. So I, I'd be looking at the details on acquisitions. Bob Kolaski, great to talk to you as always. Thank you. Awesome, Francis. You can read more about the new cloud guidance from CISA in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast, a programming note that will observe the Independence Day holiday this coming Monday. The next new episode of the Daily Scoop Podcast coming Tuesday, July 5th, and you can read more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency isn't moving fast enough on hiring the talent it needs. One of the solutions it'll implement for its human capital strategy is a chief people officer. Jerry Buckholtz is strategic advisor at the Bolden Group. She's former chief human capital officer at NASA. Jerry, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. This is the old trope that we've been talking about for 15 years. I have for 15 years. You probably have been for longer it just takes too darn long to get people in. Is the cyber specialty different than the hiring problems and length in other parts of the government, or is it the same kind of thing? Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's always a pleasure to be here. I would say that indeed it is different. There are unique technical requirements. It's an unusual path to expertise. There is fierce competition for talent from the private sector and indeed from around the world. And um, it just takes a completely different way of thinking about both employment and the hiring process to get the talent into the federal government that it needs to accomplish this very important mission that benefits every citizen of the United States. One of the things that this, this is a subcommittee called the Transforming the Cyber Workforce Subcommittee. The leader of it is the chief security officer at MasterCard, Ron Green. So CISA is going outside the government sphere to help it understand what it needs to do. The other issue that they addressed here that you and I have talked about before, but I don't think ever gets enough attention, is the onboarding process. And, and their this group is advising CISA to cut the onboarding process um, to bring these people into the fold. 
what are the potential pros and cons of cutting an onboarding process and how does one go about doing that in an efficient way without cutting corners, Jerry? That's the really, really tough question because this is not an HR issue. This is a national security issue. And that's where it gets super tough because all of those procedures, reviews, investigations, adjudications are there for very, very good reasons. And these are people who are going to have access to some of the most sensitive data that exists anywhere. And so you have to weigh the risks with the desired outcomes, and you never want to go too far over into risk. There are things, however, that you can do. Security investigation and adjudication has always been understaffed. Their tools have never been updated to the level that they need to be updated in order to do this kind of work quickly. And also, there could be some work up front to attract and hire the kind of people who are going to smooth their way through this security clearance possible uh, process more quickly. So it's a tough one, and it's one that I know that the federal government has struggled with for forever, and certainly this has always been true in the intelligence community as well. So there are probably some people in those disciplines that can help with this question, but it is something that's needed to be looked at for a long time across the whole federal government. Um, CISA is getting its own uh, human capital leader. They're calling it a chief people officer. And uh, this advisory committee's report says that person should, quote, advance a unified approach to talent acquisition, establish workforce development priorities, ensure alignment with professional career path. That sounds like a Chico job to me. Am I reading it wrong? No, you're reading it right. It sounds like a Chico job where the Chico's actually doing the Chico job. Mm. I think a lot of times in the federal government, you have people who are chief human capital officers who are actually continuing to do HR director work. And this can be problematic because the role of a Chico is very different than an HR director. And I always liken it to the difference between economics and marketing. Economics is the input, the throughput, and the output of money. And marketing is influencing people how to use that money. And the same is true with HR and human capital. HR is the input, throughput, and output of people. And human capital is influencing leaders how to use those people. So what they're describing here is truly chief human capital officer work. And I think that more chief human capital officers should focus on those things and then have a really dependable HR director running the business operation for them. See, you're getting right to the core of what I, the reason that this jumped out at me. And the issue at CISA is one thing, and it's very important, and, and it's terrific to see that they're making progress. But this also, to me, speaks to the broader issue of what do we expect these CXO jobs to do, not just in human capital, but also in acquisition and also in IT and also in management, specifically financial management. And and what qualifications then does that person need to deliver what the agency and ultimately the citizens require from that organization? And this is the core conversation that I think has been going on in the CIO community, especially over the last five to 10 years, is, is that a technical position 
or is that a strategic position? Is it a tactical or strategic job? And that sounds to me like the same distinction that you're making when it comes to human capital, Jerry. That's absolutely right. And certainly you do need to have some technical and discipline expertise. You would not want to hire a general counsel who did not have expertise in law. On the other hand, your general counsel needs to be a leader of people, needs to help the the managers in their organization make the best, most legally sound decisions that they can make about the mission, but they don't have to be a current litigator in order to be a good general counsel. And the same is true for your chief human capital officer. That person's primary role is to help those leaders and managers in that agency be the best leaders of people that they can be. And other people can worry about programs and processes. So let's maybe continue to extrapolate that CIO example. So over the last decade or so, we've seen CIOs come uh, to bring in chief technology officers to great prominence, CISOs to great prominence. In some cases, the chief data officer is in the CIO shop and so on. What would a more mature human capital organization look like in in an agency with the Chico sitting at the top and what kind of specialties underneath that person? You definitely want someone who can run a solid business operation for you. So the traditional HR functions, because without that, you don't have the credibility that you need. In addition to that, you need a chief talent officer who's going to focus on training, um, leadership development, especially leadership development. And then you need a good analytics person who can help you do the sort of data that you need to do to project the workforce of the future and support all that goes into the budget process. Because for most federal agencies, they're biggest budget items are rent and payroll. So it becomes a huge portion of their payroll. And then finally, you need a good technology person because HR technology is very different than other kinds of technologies that run in an agency. If you've got a really solid HR uh, technology going, every single person who works for that organization touches that system and it needs to be super user-friendly while meeting the abundant federal requirements. All right. Um, That sounds like something that I don't know of (laughs) being very common across the federal government. Do we have a lot of organizations that look like that now, Jerry? I don't think so, because they have never really evolved from being HR offices, and they aren't taking a comprehensive enterprise approach. And that is what stands out about this CISA approach. They're looking at front of my comprehensive enterprise approach to build a cadre of a workforce to accomplish a mission that might be completely different tomorrow than it is today. Jerry Buckholtz, great to talk to you as always, my friend. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. You can read more about the new job at CISA in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast is off for Independence Day Monday. 
back on Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, have a great Independence Day weekend. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.